That song is so true for those of us that love the Lord. You know that uh, we don't grieve at death the way that people grieve that have no hope. We have hope in Jesus because he rose again from the dead, and we know that we too will rise someday. But right now, we've got work to do, and we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so would you pray with me this prayer? Father, unleash the power of the Holy Spirit to bring spiritual breakthrough in my life, in my church family, and in our community. Fill us with humility, unity, and passion. Let your kingdom come and your will be done. And may the name of Jesus be held in high honor in all that we say and do. Amen. And I hope that you'll be able to see in your own life little, little glimpses of God kind of breaking through, right? And helping us to be able to see what God is doing. Um, I'm going to start a, a new message series today, but build on what we had before. And I realized um, I'm kind of jumping into Valentine's Day. And so for those of you that, that Groundhog's Day is like your favorite holiday of the year, I'm really sorry. Like I don't have a Groundhog Day sermon for today. Um, I, you know, it's, it's like, I love groundhogs. It just uh, wasn't, you know, kind of in my prayer life. And um, Super Bowl's neat, uh, but my team's not in the Super Bowl, so I don't even have a Super Bowl uh, sermon. Oh, wow. Boy, they're really mad. Oh, oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I do have a preference, but I don't think I better say the preference of who I want to win, because who knows what the next step is from the lights going out. Um, so, anyway, uh, God loves football, I'm sure. Um, so, but I'm going to jump into Valentine's Day, <laughs> and it's interesting, though, because I want to kind of review last month's kind of sermon series and kind of um, piggyback off of what Peggy was doing this past weekend uh, with you and, and kind of go into this next one. So if you missed all of January, I'm going to give it to you in like five minutes, okay? We talked about how the gospel of Jesus, the reality that the word of God became flesh, a human, a couple thousand years ago, and that he lived among us and he taught us how to live, and then he died a sacrificial death for us, and for our sins, all that we have done wrong, those types of things, took on even our own death and then rose from the dead, that all of that helps us understand God's love for us. It helps us understand how to live life because Jesus taught how to live and then he illustrated it by his life. And then as he sacrificed himself for us, that's a great example of God's love for us as well. We're going to talk more about that today. But the power of God was illustrated in his resurrection from the dead. If he was still in the grave, we might talk about his teachings and stuff, but it would be more like a phil like philosophy lecture, right? We talk about, yeah, maybe this is a good way to live, that kind of stuff. But he's dead, so he doesn't really have power over death. So his, his words then would be kind of the equivalent of anybody else that's still dead. <laughs> but since he rose from the dead... We know that his words have a lot more weight. His way of living has a lot more weight in our life. And that can give us hope. That can give us forgiveness. God's forgiveness is provided by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So when you look at the world through those lenses, you see things differently. Problems start to look a little different. The joys of life look different. The, the call that you have on your life of how to live, that looks different when you start to see things through the worldview of the gospel message, the good news message of what God has done for us through Jesus. Then we look at life a little differently. And so we'll illustrate that today as we start looking at God's love for us. To remind us of that kind of love every day, 
Peggy mentioned the whole idea of devotional time. And for some of us longtime Christians, we do that, some in the morning, some in the evening, some in the middle of the day. But why do we do this? Well, it's easy to get sidetracked. If the people around us aren't living out the gospel or they don't look at the world through those lenses, it's easy for us to get sidetracked or or distracted or start to worry too much about what's going to happen and forget God's love for us. So we have books um, in the back, you know, and in a basket where you could take one if you didn't already, and that can help you. Now, I'm, I'm about 14, 15 pages in or so, and already... It, the book, this book has reminded me of what the scripture says. And that's what a good devotional book does. It's not just opinions of the author, but it's the opinions of God represented in the scripture. And then it helps us to engage that. But it talks about every day reminding us of the gospel, what God has done for us in Jesus. Then things look different where we have more power, we have more strength, we have more forgiveness to then offer other people. And Jesus himself modeled that. Multiple times in the Bible it says that as he was doing ministry and thousands of people even at times were coming to hear him, at times he would disappear from the crowd. They'd be like, where's Jesus? And it turns out he was off by himself praying. And if you were one of those thousands of people, you might be like, how dare you? I need to talk to you. But Jesus is like, look, I'm also human as well as divine. I've got to get away from the crowd sometimes and do my own devotional life to reconnect with God the Father so that then I have energy and compassion to be able to offer. And you get what that looks like. So in the midst of all that then, reconnecting with God's love to offer love with other people, that's part of what we're talking about today. What is a godly kind of love that we can then offer to other people? So I was in the store last night and I saw the candy aisle and I was trying to be strong and then I thought, well, I could buy those little hearts that say be mine because that's a part of my sermon series. So I can buy that candy, right? And uh, just trying to, you know, you know, figure this out. And it reminded me, myself, of what I was going to be talking about today, which is God says to you, be mine. Sometimes we think about it romantically, you know, and that's fine. This, this will affect our romantic life today. But at the same time, um, this whole idea of God wanting us to be God's, for God to love us and to be in that relationship, that's a different kind of thing, and that's deep, and that can, that can be with us forever. And I want to talk about that in February because that's the month of Valentine's Day, which makes a ton of sense, right? Let's take a long, dreary, cold month and say, what a romantic month. You know, and I've always thought of February. It's just such a beautiful time of year, and it just makes me exude with love for loved ones, right? (laughs) No, not really. But nonetheless, that's what we've got, February, Valentine's Day, that idea. It's not always easy to be in this kind of loving mood, is it? And there are certain things that can happen in life that can disconnect us from God's love and affect the way that we love other people. So let's just name one of those, and that is sleep. Have you ever noticed how hard it is to be a loving person when you are sleep-deprived? Have you ever noticed that? Maybe, maybe you're not, but for me, if I've lost sleep for like three days in a row, it's a little harder for me to be kind and compassionate and, and patient. Do you know what I mean? Let's go back in time to when we had our first child, Patrick, And I was sleep deprived, but only by one day. I was still in the hospital, and I was holding little baby Jesus, or baby Jesus, baby (laughs) Patrick. Oh, man. Oh. You're like, dude, I thought you were old. I know. 
I know. I did not hold the little baby Jesus. Six pound, eight ounce little baby Jesus. Whatever. Um, <laughs> maybe I'm sleep deprived right now. I don't know. I don't know. Might be. Um, but anyway, when we were in the hospital, I was given literature that was like this particular billboard. Okay? Now, <laughs> at the time, I was like, this is the most ridiculous literature I've ever seen. And I had driven around, and I had seen billboards like this out and about some places. And I thought, you know, before I had a kid, I thought, how big a monster would I ever have to be to ever want to shake a baby, like to do harm to a baby? Like, I thought, there is no way that I personally would ever need that kind of reminder. And so in the hospital, we have little baby, pa- <laughs> baby Patrick there. Got it right this time. Baby Patrick. I'm gonna, and, and I'm holding him, and the nurse, you know, gives us literature about, hey, you know, um, don't shake the baby. Um, when you want to shake, take a break, that kind of stuff. And I, I'm thinking in my head, I'm judging in my mind all those people that have ever done that or ever wanted to do that. Because I'm thinking, man, I don't need to be reminded of that because I'm a good dad already. I love this little child. This little child is a child of God. I mean, this is a gift from God. His mother and I are going to create this amazing environment for him, and we're going to love him. And um, this is great. And so that was the first night. The second night, same thing. Third night, yeah, still, you know, kind of, yeah, okay. Um, But then you fast forward about two weeks of no sleep for 14 straight days, and all of a sudden the world looked a lot different. And I started realizing, whoo, whoo, this is tough. And um, they don't necessarily tell you this, but the diapers start stinking after a few days, and you think you're a hero, and then you're like, man, this little kid, man, this is bad. It smells bad. It's yelling all the time. doesn't appreciate us, and a couple of weeks in of sleep deprivation and stuff, then middle of the night, he's crying and crying and crying, screaming his head off, um, and I'm starting to think, why doesn't he appreciate the fact that I painted this room, this nursery, and I made it nice? And why doesn't he appreciate his mother who gave him life and went through this and is giving of herself so that he can be sustained? And he doesn't appreciate this at all. And he's just yelling, and I finally changed another diaper, and they're nasty. And he doesn't appreciate it. And all I want is one little thing. I just want him to stop crying, right? But give him the bottle one more time, and it, nah, nah, and he starts yelling, and I'm, rage erupts in my heart. And I had to take a break. And I was like, wait a second, Nathan, Mr. Holy Preacher Dude, you are capable of some deep, dark sin, man. Like this rage that was erupting inside of me. I had no idea I was even capable of being that mad at a little helpless kid, right? And I had to take the break, and I realized, wait a second, there is something deeply theological about this. This helps me to understand myself in the light of God, because if at times God sees me like that little baby, like I'm the selfish little ungrateful guy that's like, God, why didn't you do this for me? And God's probably looking down going, look, I've done this and this and this for you, and I gave you life, and I give you enough food, and you've got, you know, parents, and you got these other things, and you know, how dare you, you know, not appreciate me? And if God can love me, in the midst of all of my own selfishness and stuff, then I better step up and love my kid that way, right? Does that make sense? Like, man, and so I told a parent one time it was going to adopt, they were going to adopt a little baby, and this is going to be their first kid. And I said, hey, look, let me tell you, 
if and when you have inside of you this immense anger and almost hatred for this kid because of what they're doing, understand like that's human. That doesn't mean you've lost your salvation, doesn't mean that you've, you know, but it may scare you that you're capable of, of that level of anger, right? Days and days later, I heard him quote me to another person saying, I'm glad Nathan warned me. We are broken humans. We don't have to be taught how to lie. We figure it out ourselves. We don't have to teach ourselves how to be selfish. We can figure it out. And as we get older, we become more sophisticated. We can hide it even better, but it's still there. Like, we still are broken. We still are sinful. We still need the love of God. And so now, in that context, this passage and others like it really make a lot more sense. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Would you say that after me? Still sinners. Oh, wait a second, right? In the normal way of being a human, it's quid pro quo, which means I'll do to you what you do to me, and you'll probably do to me what I do to you, right? And so if you're nice and kind and stuff to me, then fine, I can be nice and kind back to you. But if you're not nice and kind to me, then I can be really mean back to you. And you're like, wait, is that really the way the world works? Absolutely. Go to dinner with some, some friends and then have a waiter or waitress that treats you badly and see how that conversation at your table goes. Will that conversation go, well, you know, we've been selfish at times and we've, we've dropped the ball at times and God loves us anyway and so we should extend love and grace toward that server. <laughs> is that the way the conversation goes? <laughs> or you're sitting at a game, right, and your kid got fouled and it was ugly, and the whole crowd saw it, but the referee didn't do anything about it. And so, you know, is the natural human tendency to say, well, you know, Jesus died for that ref. <laughs> and I, too, have made mistakes, and, you know, just not in front of, you know, 100 people. And so um, I'm going to give them grace. And so the words coming out of my mouth are going to be, ref, bless you. It's okay that you missed that foul. That's fine. Ah, it's okay. Jesus loves you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we know that the bent towards sinning, that the, even the hymn writers and the writers of songs in Christian world write about, we know that that's there. And we know that we need to recognize it and then turn that over to God and to continually accept the fact that even in that state of sinfulness, Christ died for us. He said, even though you're not even on my team yet, even though you don't even care about me, even though you may spit in my face metaphorically, I still love you. I still want to offer forgiveness. I still want to die for you. I'm going to do that for you. That was something that completely changed the Apostle Paul's outlook. Was it only Paul? No. John, close disciple of Jesus. Now, don't miss this, because some academics, right, they'll write off certain parts of the Bible and certain authors and be like, well, that was just Paul, but, you know, we know better now. We see things more clearly now. But in this case, no, 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 John also, same thing. He was absolutely captivated by the idea that Jesus would die for us even when we're still sinners. This is real love, he said, not that we love God. It's like, don't fool yourselves. Just left on your own, you won't turn around and say, oh, you know what? There are stars up there. There must be a creator. I should love that creator, right? No, we still, we still struggle. Not that he loved, or that, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins.
That's why the most loving thing that my parents ever did for me was not to only help me to know that I'm loved, but to help me to know that I need love and forgiveness, and I need the forgiveness of God. And it might be like, well, that, I don't like that part. And yeah, I don't like it when people point out my faults or my flaws or my sins. But if I was told all along that everything I did was fine and good and okay, I would completely miss the reality, which is it's not all fine and good and okay. I mean, tell me that I'm a good person, great, fine, it's wonderful, I need that. Tell me that that you love me, tell me that God loves me, that's great, that's fine, I, I need that. But don't let me live under the illusion that I'm so good that I don't need God's forgiveness because that is a complete turning against that which Jesus has done for us. John knew that, and this is an inner circle guy who listened to what Jesus taught and saw what he did, saw Jesus' compassion on everybody that was a sinner. And John recognized this is amazing, that he loves us even when we're unlovable. He dies for us even when we don't deserve kind of that kind of love and sacrifice. It's amazing. Another scripture then. John, remembering what Jesus said then, he remembered that Jesus said, a new command I give you, Love one another, and let me pause there for a second. The Jews of that day would have looked at Jesus and said, that's not a new command. We have that in the Old Testament. We've been living under that understanding for a long time, hundreds and hundreds of years. Love each other, love, love your neighbor as yourself. You can find that in the Old Testament. What's new about that? And then Jesus said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Okay, wait a second. That probably didn't have the same bite to it that it did after Jesus forgave those that were nailing him to the cross and John saw that and then he's like hold up I've got to love people like that and he remembered Jesus said love one another as I have loved you and John remembers then later on that Peter denied even knowing Jesus and Jesus still offered love and forgiveness to him I don't know about you but when when a friend of mine I found out later was lying to my face my immediate reaction was not, oh, that's okay, I love you, right? I, I, wanted, I want to give my life for you and sacrifice myself for you. No, I was bitterness, right? Like the initial thought was like, are you kidding me? Jesus knows what that's like from one of his closest friends who said, I don't even know that guy. Let him die up on the cross by himself. And John was a witness to these types of things and he recalls later, look, Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. That is new, it's a different way of looking at it and it's sacrificial. In the back book of Romans again, we come back to that same passage. God showed his great love for us. God showed his, whole, his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So then Jesus said, a new command I have you, love others as I have loved you. While they're still sinners, love them, try to reach out to them, try to offer grace to them, even when they're in that sinful state. Now, This is the God who then says to us, be mine, be mine, connect with me, be one of my kids, love others as I've loved you. God says to us, be mine, I love you, I want you in my family, I want you there with me forever. The songs that we sang today already, that we listened to from up here on the stage, it declared all that God has done for us, and that extension then of God's love to us saying, be mine be loved by me, turn to me, turn from all that we've done wrong, turn to me, to God, and to be there as his. Then you turn around and you try to love other people. Peggy, 
mentioned this passage last week, this whole idea. Jesus himself said, it's not the healthy that I've come for. It's not the healthy that need a doctor. And he's the great physician, right? But it's the sick. He says, I've not come to call the righteous. Because remember, there were those who were saying, just tell me that I'm a wonderful person. Because I am. I'm a lovely, wonderful person. I'm a righteous person. And Jesus is like, well, I can't get through to you. But I've come to those who say, no, I recognize that from the day I was born till now, there is that bent toward doing wrong. There's that bent toward leaving undone that which I should do. And, and I need that forgiveness. I need that love. And Jesus came for us who are willing to admit that. Then we turn and love others who have not yet admitted that and love them and try to love them into God's kingdom. This particular prayer Peggy gave. Jesus, thank you for stretching out your arms upon the hardwood of the cross so that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. Now, I had not thought, got a cross behind me there. Um, it's a cross in the windows up there, which is really cool, by the way, isn't it? Jesus could have died at, by being burned at the stake. Like God could have somehow arranged it in such a time that he could have been burned at the stake, right? Just kind of like this. But instead, God chose the time for Jesus' sacrifice to be when the Romans had, a, had a, a way of crucifying people with their arms outstretched. Might there have been a decision in the heart and mind of God to say the way in which Jesus is going to die is going to be a symbol for everybody else. And this is an important time in history for Jesus to come so that the symbol will be arms outstretched. The symbol there, wooden cross, will be arms outstretched because that's a different view of God, isn't it? It's not this, right? You know, it's not this, it's not this, it's this. Let's do something right now that kind of shows the difference. Like right now we're sitting like this, okay? Some of you know where I'm going with this. And you're like, I'm not touchy-feely. Don't, please, Nathan, don't ask me to stretch out and take the hand of the people next to me. Please, for the love of that little baby Jesus that you said a little while ago that you held, but you meant Patrick, please don't ask me to do that. I'm really sorry, but this really makes a, a good point. So can, can we try that? I mean, even if you're not real close to somebody, can you just kind of stretch your arms out like that, like you're trying to reach out to them? And, you know, if you want to take their hand or whatever like that. It's different, isn't it? All of a sudden, you're encountering the other. All of a sudden, you're sacrificing yourself for the other. All of a sudden, you're like, did they wash their hands or not? I don't know. Oh, Jesus. I don't know. Okay? It's a sacrifice, right? That's what we're talking about. Okay. All right. And some of you have already let go. You are like me. I am right there with you. I'd have been like, okay, point made. Now I'm back to here. Okay, that's all good. That's all good. You see the difference. Jesus' death is, is symbolic and it's also real, right? It's both. When we receive Holy Communion in a minute, there are people that would say it's only a symbol, and I get that. It's only remembrance, and I understand where they're coming from. But Jesus seems to have said when he was talking about it that he was communing with people. Like he's really there somehow. That he's really with us. That he's really reaching out to us, really stretching out his arms, trying to connect with us. And so, um, so as we receive communion in just a minute, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray that you will feel like and know that God is reaching out to you saying, be mine, be mine. And then reach out to others and say, I'm going to give my life for you. That's a godly kind of love. Sacrificing for other people. Whether it's the screaming little baby or whether it's the coworker we can't stand or whoever it is, we sacrifice ourselves for them. 
reaching out to them with the truth that we need, we need correction. We need, we need God's forgiveness. But God has already offered that to us. Let's pray together. So God, I pray that you would help us as we receive the elements in a minute to call to mind and remember that last supper of Jesus where he had the disciples there and he had some disciples at that meal as special guests of his that had not long ago argued about who was more important to Jesus and who he liked better and who was first. And they had been ridiculously selfish and yet Jesus invites them to dinner there together. And another one was going to deny him and deny even knowing him and yet he was invited there. Another one was gonna sell him out, sell Jesus out for a price as though he was hiring an assassin and yet Jesus still had him there at the table. He was extending love and grace to them in the midst, not excusing their sin, but dying for it. And so God, as we recall that, we remember that he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, drink or eat this, this is my body given for you. Eat this, this is my body given for you. Then he took the cup and he blessed it and he offered it to his disciples and said, drink from this. This is the blood of the new covenant New covenant, my shed blood. And so God, as we eat and drink together by dipping the bread, we pray that you would commune with our soul and our spirit. Help us to know that you are saying, be mine. And may our response be back. We love you, we accept you, we want to be yours. And then as we return to our seats and as we continue to pray and as we're listening to the music, Help us to think of people for whom we need to pray, to whom we need to reach out, who are far from you, and yet you love them and have died for them. Help us to be praying for them as well in this time where your spirit communes with us. May it be so. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God's people said, amen. Amen. As I come down to serve, we'll have servers that will be coming forward to help to serve you. You don't have to be a member of this church to receive Holy Communion. You need to love and follow Jesus with your heart, soul, mind, and strength.